Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we will hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message titled, Seeing the Big Picture. Let's join in now. I want you to see the big picture of what it means to have a life that pleases God. You know, we've gotten into the details. Uh, we've talked a lot about the nitty gritty things that we have to do, how we have to um, buy into the doctrine that the Bible teaches. And we have to believe that Jesus is the son of God. Remember last week we, we learned in scripture that whoever does not have Jesus does not have the father and whoever does have Jesus does have the Father, right? So what you believe about the Bible is very important. You can't just check a box and say, I go to church and have it be okay. That, that's not very good. But we get, we've gotten down in the nitty-gritty. But today, I want you to step back and get an overview of where your life needs to head. And this is going to end in a very, very special place. Now, here's the problem with seeing the big picture. We have our own little thing going on in our life, right? We have our problems. We have our stuff, our junk. We have our past. And many times it gives us a false idea of what God is trying to do through our lives, what he is trying to do in our lives, and we end up very confused. Now, I came across a very, very funny phone call, and it's debatable whether or not this was a stage phone call on the radio show or whether it was a real one, but I do know this. At very least, it was based off of a true story of a letter a man wrote. And so I want you to listen to this radio show call-in and, and see how the big picture can get distorted by our problems. Check it out. Now, Donna, you got quite the vent today. It sounds like what's going on with you. Well, I wanted to voice my opinion on something that's been bothering me for a really long time. Okay. Um, I, I tried writing the newspaper and contacting uh, TV stations, but nobody seems to want to stay with this. So that's so why I'm calling you guys. Okay, what's, the, um, what's the issue? Well, <clears throat> over the past few years, I've been involved in three separate car accidents involving deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the population and everything. Um, each of these incidents, they've occurred shortly after I saw a deer crossing sign on the highway. Well, my frustration is that Minnesota and North Dakota Departments of Transportation would allow these deer crossings to be in such high traffic areas. I mean, I've even seen them on the interstate. Why are we mm-hmm. encouraging deer to cross? at the interstate. I don't get it. That's such a high traffic area. I mean, Are you, you know, I understand that deer are wild animals and they need to travel across the streets occasionally. Okay, enough. We can't handle any more. There was about three more minutes of that phone call and I just couldn't handle it anymore. So I didn't think you could. But seeing the big picture of living a life that pleases God uh, can be difficult sometimes because as funny and as awkward as that is, and that's called the, the deer lady. If you Google it on the internet, you'll find the rest of it. And it's equally as funny for about five more minutes. Uh, but many times <clears throat> we look at the, the standards of God, the things that he wants us to do. We look at the character of God and the people he wants us to become. And, and we start to say, but I, I keep wrecking there. God, why, why is there a problem? And, and we blame God a lot. And all the while, God is just saying, you just have one job. You just have one job. Let me flow through you. Stop making excuses. Stop, stop being self-centered and start being God-centered. And, and when we get this big picture of what it means to be God-centered, 
our life becomes much more efficient spiritually, and we become the people that God can really use. Now, there's a great truth here today that you may not understand, and you may not really believe it. And here it is. God can use you. Have you ever ever really stopped and let that sink in? You can be used by Almighty God. This is the God who created the universe. This is the God who hung the stars in the sky. This is the God who breathed life into that little baby, mom and dad, that you, that you had, to your children. This is the God who can do anything, who is perfect in all his ways, and he can use you. Wow. Let that blow your mind for a second. And so, as we move here today, I want to encourage you to put aside all of the car crashes in your life, right? All the times where, hey, I crashed, but it was because, hey, it's someone else's fault. And and let's put all that aside, all the little stuff, and focus on the big picture today. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. I love what John interrupts the middle of his letter with here. Remember, we are going through First John, and he's older at this point in time, right? He's writing a letter that's going to get circulated to all the churches. So many churches are going to get this. He's talked about God being light. He's talked about sin. He's talked about all these things. And in, here in chapter 3 and verse 1, he interrupts the program of talking about sin just for a few verses to make this incredible statement. It's something that maybe you should memorize, and it's your first blank. He says, be overcome by God's love. This is the first part of the big picture. Be overcome by God's love. Stand in awe of it. And this is what John says. This is how he describes being overcome by God's love. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Have you ever thought about that? You're a child of God, a child of the king. What right do we have to that? Check this out before we go any further in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It's in your program, and it's also up on the screen if you want to read along uh, silently. It says this, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Why did the Old Testament law exist? To expose sin, to let us know that we did not meet up to the standards of holy God. But then it says this, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. We were all not good enough so that he could, what's that word right there? Say it. Adopt. Say it stronger again. What's that word? Adopt so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out. Let's call it out together. Abba, Father. Being overcome by God's love means that we're overcome, that we can have a relationship with him. That we can know him and that he knows us and that he cares for us. And, and, and here's, here's the, why I had you say the word adopt. You know, if you think about earthly adoption, what happens in earthly adoption? There's usually a child who was unwanted, maybe barely made it out of the womb at best, right? Possibly the parents were even thinking about aborting the child, calling the child worthless, meaningless to society. Or maybe they felt unprepared as parents to handle 
this baby. And so uh, let's use an example of, of maybe a Russian orphanage. So they go into an orphanage, and they're there with hundreds of kids, fatherless, motherless, hopeless. This is the spiritual picture that is painted for us in Scripture when we're talking about becoming children of God. To be overcome by love, you have to understand just how hopeless we were without Christ. You see, we were lost. We had no provision. We had no future. But in Christ, he came and he adopted us. And what do parents do? Parents who adopt spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Some people spend 10000 20000 30000 40000 50000 uh, There are some adoption cases that go even higher than that to pluck a little child out of death's grip, right? Out of a hopeless life. But as a, as a student pastor for 10 years, I noticed this. In many cases, adopted kids have no idea the price that was paid for them for years and years and years. And sometimes they rebel against the people who paid so much to pluck them out. And, and spiritually, when we're overcome by God's love, this is what, what happens in, in, the, in the term adoption. We come to the place where, yes, we are plucked out of sin and death and hell by God when we come to place our faith in Jesus Christ by grace through faith, right? That happens. But then we start to walk with God, and we're a lot like the adopted kid that has no concept of what the parents just paid, right? We're like, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross, or, you know, hey, I know the parents spent money, but, but I don't know how much. I don't know how much it hurt them. I just don't know. And so what we begin to do is we begin to try to test God and say, God, I know you saved me, and I'm, I know I'm in your house, but I still want to do things my way, you see, because I have my customs. I have my DNA. I have the culture that I came out of, and I want to keep that. And all the while, while we do that, what it does is we, we, we start to show disrespect to God and, and a lack of interest in what he's done for us. And, and then we wonder why our relationship with God becomes distant and why it becomes stale. Those who are overcome by love spend their life understanding the price that was paid for their salvation. They spend their life understanding the price that was paid for their salvation. And it, it brings us to this uh, point where we come to the realistic statement that everyone, everyone, there's not a person on the planet that doesn't begin life far from God and hopeless. When we remember our life before Christ, I was saved at six years old, but you know what I've come to realize? The first five and a half plus years of my life, I was headed to hell. I was far from God. And you may say that, Dave, that sounds weird. You know what? There's no way that I could meet the demand of Jesus on my own. I was far from God and hopeless. And when I think about that, and I think, wow, I'm one of the few people in my family that grew up in a Christian home. And all my extended family and everything, I'm thinking, God, thank you so much that you put me in a home that I would end up coming to know you so early. Because I could have just as easily been born in a home that didn't and had a much harder road. And so this gratefulness occurs. And this overcome by God's love starts to occur. And, and here's a great truth. Anyone who believes now, even though you are far from God and hopeless, anyone who believes now has a bigger picture. Has a bigger picture. Now, you may want to write this down. This isn't on the screen. But you can choose to be overcome by one of two things. 
You can be overcome by your problems or you can be overcome by God's love. That, when you boil it down, the big picture, these are big picture statements today. You have one of two choices to make in this life. What, what will you be overcome by? Will you be overcome by your past? Will you be overcome by addiction? Will you become uh, overcome by what a previous church did to you? By what your dad did to you? By a molestation? By uh, anything? By a divorce? Will you be overcome by that? Or will you be overcome by the love of God? Because here's the great truth that Scripture says, that perfect love always does what? Cast out all fear. It always casts out fear. And this is why we have to be overcome by God's love. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Here's your second uh, thing you have to do to see the big picture. Be eager for personal purity. Be eager for personal purity. Let's pick up 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, and we'll read all the way through verse 9. This is what it says. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, meaning Jesus, is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Now, I don't know uh, too often that we, com- we relate sin in our lives to lawlessness, do we? When you sin against God, very, it's not very often I stop and go, oh, I sinned. I broke the law. I don't think of it that way. But I want to take you back to last week. If, you're, if you missed last week, I got to re-record it um, for you. But we talked about the end times. We actually talked about the seven-year tribulation in service. Wasn't that kind of, it was kind of cool to look at that, wasn't it? But I want to remind you, when we practice lawlessness, what direction and who we're acting like. Many times we don't relate our sin to this very often. But check this out in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul tells, tells the church of Thessalonica. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy, that's the great falling away before the seven-year tribulation period, unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of, what's that word? Lawlessness. The man of sin, the man of lawlessness is revealed. Do you know that another name for the Antichrist, not like the little ones that John talked about last week, but the big capital A Antichrist is the man of lawlessness. Now, if you look back, if you look back at John 3, 4, 1 John 3, 4, it says, whoever commits sin also commits, what's that word? Whoa, think about this. The lack of purity in our lives points us in the direction where we're becoming more like the Antichrist, capital A. It's a better description for us than Jesus. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Our sin points us that far off. It's lawlessness. And the man of lawlessness is the one who's going to war against God. So do you see that what happens is not, we're not being overcome by love when we sin. We're actually waging war against God, which is really weird because there in, in cha- chapter 3, verse 1, he said, we're called what? Children of God. Doesn't it stink when your kids war against you? It's just awful, you know, and they learn to do it so little. It breaks my heart that my little two-year-old Briggs, who was so sweet like two weeks ago, has now started running away when I say, come here. He's like, no, I'm not coming. I chased him halfway around a restaurant yesterday, and, and, and he still just would not come. And it just gets worse and worse, and then they become teenagers, and we won't go there, okay? And so we love you, teenagers. You'll get through it. We promise. You will. 
But uh, here's, here's what we need to know. We have to be eager for the personal purity because when we're not, we're becoming more like the man of lawlessness and the end times instead of the son of God who will appear, capture his church, and then return and rule and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years uh, in holiness and in perfection and in authority. We're, you, you see the two dichotomies there. And so here's what he c- continues on to say in verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin. That's why Jesus came. And, and for those of you who are, uh, remember I challenged you last week to learn one of ten doctrines. I encourage you to continue in that. There was a doctrine you wrote down. There were one of ten. And, uh, and maybe what we could do is provide that for you online so that you can uh, catch up if you missed it. But here's a doctrine that's really important. It says, and you know that Jesus was manifested manifested. You know what that tells us? That Jesus wasn't just born and then God descended on Jesus. That's a, that's a heresy in the Bible. What he's trying to say there is that Jesus truly was God up in heaven. And when he was manifested, it means he appeared before us. He became a man. He existed eternally. And so it talks about that Jesus truly is God. He is deity. And that's important to know. So it says, and you know that he was manifested. Jesus became a man to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin, right? So we're talking about the subject of purity. And he says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now we know we all do sin. And back in chapter one and chapter two, he says, here's the good news. Chapter two, verse one, we have an advocate when we do sin, right? And, and, and he cleans the slate for us. It's Jesus Christ. So verse seven, little children, Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we know that at the second coming, that's going to be way more obvious than the first coming, because he is going to kick butt. And I love that about our Savior. He's going to do it. He's going to come. It's going to be strong. It's going to be amazing. And and we're going to see Jesus and all his power. He says, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. God. Now, I know that some, we read First John, and the number one thought, if you're paying any attention to the scripture at all, is, wait, he keeps saying that if you love God, you don't sin. And then you look at your own life and go, hmm, Houston, there's a problem, right? There's a big problem here. Well, here's, here's how we break this down. And here are your blanks. This is very important to catch this concept. When you are saved, you go from one nature to two natures. When you come to saving faith, you go from one nature to two natures. This is part of coming out of death and despair into hope. You see, we have what the Bible calls the flesh nature. This is the nature that sins. This is the nature that cannot, can't do anything but sin. It doesn't know anything but selfishness and greed and warring against God. But then there's this other nature called the spirit nature. And we're told in Ephesians 1.13, when we come to Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. It is stamped on our heart. And the only way that we could not be saved is if God himself were to step off the throne. You see what I'm saying? So we're sealed. But here's, here's the challenge. While we're on earth, until the second coming of Christ, we have two natures. And here's what you have to know about them. It is impossible to sin in the believer's spirit nature. If you are a believer 
and you are surrendered to the Spirit, it is impossible for you to sin. But here's the other impossibility. It is impossible not to sin in the flesh nature. So, do you, do you, hear, do you see what I'm saying? So, here's the issue. How do you purify yourself? It is an issue of one word, and you want to write this word down. It's surrender. It's an issue of surrender. Who are you going to surrender to when you wake up in the morning? When life gets tough, when there's not enough money in the bank account, when that thing your spouse does that just drives you wild and makes you come unglued, when that happens, who are you going to surrender to? Are you going to surrender to the flesh, which has no choice but to sin and to act out in selfishness and to say, why are the deer crossing the road at the deer sign? You know what I'm saying? You see, that's how ludicrous it is for a child of God to go on wanting to sin and being okay with sin. It's that ludicrous. Or do we surrender to the spirit nature? And in that nature, it is impossible to sin. And if you look at people, have you ever seen a person where you wonder, how can that person not be angry at what just happened? And they're a believer. And you say, or, hey, how is this person enduring the hardship they are? How can this person go through cancer with joy? And by the way, pray for uh, Pastor Paul and and, uh, Tammy Jones, the pastor of Emmanuel. Uh, You know, she's going through a huge battle with um, what is described as potential terminal cancer. And and here's here's what I just heard. uh, We were at a pastor's conference for the whole state of Montana, probably about 300 people there, uh, pastors and their families. And here's what we heard. Through her cancer... She has more joy, and she's more vibrant for Christ than really she's ever been in her life. And, and her, her statement is, you know what? They have to listen to me because I have a brain tumor. They have to respect me. I can talk about Jesus all I want, and they just have to listen because that's how it is. I have a tumor. You see, when you see these, this uncommon joy and this confidence in Christ through circumstances that typically drive people to the grave and drive people loony, that's where you look at, and you, you show me a person like that, and I'll show you a person who has surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God in their life. And so I've been looking for a chance to do this because I'm a plumber's son, and I have yet to break this out. You're about to get version one of the pipe talks, okay? And, uh, yeah, this is an inch and a half PVC 90-degree elbow, and, yes, I knew exactly what that was. And uh, it would be called the street if you took away the edge there. And, uh, yes, I'm the son of a plumber. I'm not the son of a big line of pastors. As a matter of fact, to my knowledge, on my side of the family, not Amy's, Amy's side of the family has, like, I don't know, they're way smarter than me. And uh, they've loved God for a long time in their family. But uh, on my family, to my knowledge, for generations, I'm the first pastor of any kind uh, on the Carroll side of the fence. And so I have to give you plumbing illustrations. Is this okay? I hope so. Um, here's what's going down. This is you. You are the pipe. All right? We're looking at the big picture. We talked about the first thing we have to do to to, to see the big picture of, of a life that pleases God. And that's to be overcome by the, by the love of God. And what is that? Um, any pipe is pretty much useless unless it's put up underneath of a faucet, right? Or, or something that's going to put, push water through the pipe. Now, that faucet, in our case, as a believer, is God. God is the one who is supposed to pour into the top of the pipe. All right? We are the conduit. The pipe flows through us, right? And the whole idea of the Christian life is that not that we bottle up the love of God, 
but that it flows out of us to others, right? To the world. And so the idea of purity here, and a great illustration is uh, when you're underneath, you're underneath the faucet of God, and maybe you're doing the right things. Maybe you're going to church. You're reading the Bible. Maybe you're praying with your family. Maybe you're growing in your faith. I don't know. You feel like you're doing the right stuff, but there's sin. There's stuff that you've hidden before God, before your spouse, before other people, before your kids, whatever it is. You've hidden it, and what it does is it starts to build, create this buildup in the pipe. Has anybody ever had a stoppage before, right? I know we have basements in Montana, so the bad stoppages can be really bad, right? Like really, really, really bad, and they back up. Well, what ends up happening is God is pouring into the pipe, but it's coming out the wrong end. It's coming back out the top of it because sin has clogged the pipe. Now, because I'm a plumber's son, I'm just going to give you a commercial. Don't use Drano. Don't use Drano. Because you know what Drano does? It actually eats the pipe away. And, and one day you're going to have like a bigger mess on your hands. But that's, that was free, by the way. Okay? Yeah. Call the guy to get the big machine, go up on the roof and like shove the thing down there and ream it out. Right? And so here's what happens. We have to get rid of the sin inside the pipe so the love of God can flow through us. Many times we're caught blaming God for our, our lack of feeling like he's there. And all the while, God's like giving you his best, but it just keeps coming out the top and we feel empty. You see, the odd thing about the Christian life is that we feel the most full in the Lord when we're giving away. We empty ourselves out. God fills us back up. We empty out. God fills up. We empty out. God fills up. That's how that works. And so here's what we have to know. Here's a blank. Sin clogs the grace of God. Sin clogs the grace of God in our life, his unmerited favor. You see, here's the truth when it comes to purity. And here's your next blank as well. We want something new. Don't you want God to do something new in your life? Something fresh, something vibrant, something miraculous, something that just makes you go, wow, I love being in relationship with God. This is incredible. Don't you want that kind of relationship with him? Well, we want something new, but we don't let the grace pass through our lives. Why? Because we refuse to be eager for purity. Now, are you catching this? This is the Christian life in a nutshell. This is where we're headed. This is how you get to a life that pleases God. You become overwhelmed, overcome by the love of God. You purify yourself, clean out the pipe. And here's the next part. Look at 1 Peter 4.10 before we move on. It says, as each of us has received a special gift, we employ it in serving one another as good stewards. And what does that scripture say up on the screen? Of the what? Manifold grace of God. You see, God's grace wants to go out through multiple pipes. What does a manifold do? It has one pipe on one side and multiple pipes on the other. You car nuts, right? And it either collects it all and sends it through one pipe, or you could even go the opposite way, right? And take it from one pipe and spread it out to everywhere through multiple pipes. And that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to distribute his manifold grace across the world. All of us are just like a pipe pointing out at the world. And and when one gets clogged, it's like part of the engine doesn't work right. And the next thing you know, the church is messed up because of our purity. And, And where is it supposed to go? It's supposed to go to others. This is the third and final thing. Unleash the overflow of God's love to others. Unleash the overflow of God's life to others. Look at uh, chapter 3 and verse 10 through 12 as we finish up. He says this, In this, the children of God and the children of devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he 
who does not, what? Love his brother. Verse 11, very important because this is the end goal, the big picture of a life that pleases God. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do you get it? You're overcome by the love of God. It flows through you because we've decided to purify our hearts and our minds and and see sin decrease and, and the flow of God increase. And this is the message. The love of God pours out and you can't help but love the people around you because it's God's love and not yours. And he says this, and you have this word picture. We read this Old Testament passage a few weeks ago. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. You see, there's the selfishness. There's the lack of purity. There's the bottled up. And what what did Abel get? He got all of Cain's wrath instead of God's love. And says, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do you see the role of purity right there? And, And our hunger for the holiness of God. Well, here are some great truths. Write this down. One of the greatest outcomes of a follower of Christ who sees the big picture is the spiritual impact on the lives of others. Let me ask you a question. What relationships do you have? What friendships, what working relationships, what family relationships have you not turned spiritual that need to become spiritual? You say, how do I make them spiritual? You want to know the first thing you can do and easiest? Begin to pray for them. You know, that's why we gave you a few weeks ago a friend day card with 10 names to pray for. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's. And how do we get, how do we win spiritual battles? We win them on our knees. That's how we win them. And so here's the next statement. A lack of spiritual impact on the lives of others is usually due to a lack of God's love being poured out into our lives because of a lack of purity. Now, I want to close by uh, telling you about my trip to Haiti. Haiti is a nation uh, that is 700 miles away from Miami, Florida. To put that in context, uh, where I grew up in Miami, Florida is roughly 2,400 miles to where I'm standing right now. So it's a lot closer. And one of the great, uh, I don't know, confusions of my life is how a nation 700 miles away from the greatest nation on the planet the richest nation on the planet, the most advanced nation on the planet, can be the biggest tragedy of the Western Hemisphere, 700 miles away. So I go on this mission trip. We get on the plane. We get off the plane. (laughs) They laughed at me. I bought a big suitcase full of Gatorade, and they said, why are you bringing Gatorade? That's not going to make it through. Well, they're all begging me for Gatorade after they saw what it looked like, okay? This place is desolate. They don't have running water. Kids are... Kids are carrying Ziploc bags of water back to their family underneath a blue tent. And they are still doing this four or five years after this earthquake. They have no idea how to fix what's been broken. We drive a little further up into the mountains. And uh, I had this picture of an orphanage that we went to. 700 kids would come because it was the way for them to get one bowl of rice a day. One bowl of rice a day. And so they would all walk miles and miles up a mountain to go to school on a daily basis. And the thing that struck me was this. I, I, I went to ask the headmaster of the school, hey, how do these kids drink? Where, like, where do they get something to drink? And this doesn't look very good. And he goes, oh, look over there. And he showed me. There was this big crowd of kids. Just kind of went over there whenever they could. Get a little closer, and there was one little pipe, smaller than this. It was one and a half inch. It might have been a half inch or a one inch pipe. And it had a little drip of water, drip, 
drip, drip. And this is how an entire school of 700 kids drank their water every day. Kid would get under, he'd get about four or five drips, and then he'd get out, and the next kid would go, and they would repeat that all day long. And I asked him, I said, how do you know the water is good? He said, we don't, but it's the only water we have, so we just go until someone gets sick. And I thought, wow, what, what do you do with that? Well, you see, there are people in your life, people that you come in contact with. They could be your best friends. They could be someone who's an acquaintance who need the overflow of God's love pouring into them. They need the flow of Jesus in mass in their life. But they come up to the pipe that is your life, to you and I, and many times they get drip, drip, drip. And we become okay with that. But today, I want to encourage you, we have this thing called Friend Day coming up next week. Would you be the person who sees the big picture of the overflow of the love of God, of purifying yourself and getting rid of the sin that holds you back from a walk with God? And would you be a person who pours it out onto people who are desolate and dry and hopeless? Remember, like the orphan. Do that. Be that kind of people. And so I have a few questions for you today as we come to a time of response. And if you would, everyone, break, break out your connection card. Today, Maybe you have never come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. You've never known the love of God to be overcome by him. The Bible says that if you'll simply confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that the blood of Jesus covers sin and his work on the cross is what you need, and then you, uh, as a result of that, you turn from your sin, the Bible says you can be saved. I want to ask you another question. Where is it? What is the area that is interrupting the flow of God's grace the most in your life? What's clogging the pipe? What is it? This week, write it down and decide to eradicate it. Get rid of it. Be done with it. It's, it's not helping. Number two, have you, or number three, have you set your life on a course that naturally ends with being like Jesus at his return or being like the Antichrist at the end of the age? What does God need to do in your life? Who is it that you need to point your pipe at, so to speak? Let's go to the Lord right now and do some time with him. I ask every head bowed, every eye closed. And this is just for you and God. If you have a prayer request, you can write it on the card. If you want to be baptized, you can do that as well. But there are two main questions I want to ask you to deal with. And I'll repeat them. What sin is clogging the flow of the grace of God in your life? And the second is, who have you been unwilling to love that God is asking you to love? Who is it? Who needs the flow of God's grace out of your life and heart? Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbuildings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.